As a youngster, uh, unfortunately, it was the time before we had television in South Africa and we used to be glued to the radio and listen to the exploits of our local heroes in Natal, as it then was, uh, leading the field, Vince van der Bale. So it's such a privilege to be able to be talking with him today, a cricketing legend in South Africa. He's done huge things uh, within the, the time that we were in isolation. Had he had the opportunity of playing test cricket, well, who knows uh, what could have happened then. But uh, Vince has actually been doing other things with his life and investing in the future of South Africa. We're going to find out more about that in just a moment. Vince, lovely talking with you. I see you 75 now. So uh, those days of, of playing cricket for Natal and then Middlesex where not many of the younger generation would realize that uh, you you went over and played one year of county cricket, I suppose, just to show that you could do it. Ended up being the number three on the averages there behind Joel Garner and Richard Hadley, who are, well, icons around the world because of what they did in test cricket. Do you feel a bit sad? I'm sure you do, that, that you didn't get the opportunity to play uh, during those years, given South Africa's isolation. Alex, thanks for having me, first of all. No, I don't, you know. Uh, I was lucky my dad played for South Africa and um, before World War II, before he got injured. Um, and I knew while, when we were picked, we weren't going to go because Qantas had refused to fly us and we were going to have to go in Australian Air Force flights. So we knew up front, and by that stage, we were pretty aware, we were very aware of what is happening in this country. And I say it often, you know, I was lucky enough to play overseas. I was lucky enough to play against the greats, um, Richard Hadley being one. Um, and there are so many people who never got the opportunity to actually get picked, be seen. So if you go back in history, um, I say I can't be. I'm delighted what's happened with um, post-isolation. But I think isolation... And the um, ICC coming in with different formats, of which I was part, you know, T20 opening up, has fractured the game so much that it's quite difficult to have some sort of historical reference like the Ashes. You know, that's all disappeared. We're, our history started in 1994, really. And the South African team today, the Proteas, they went to the World Cup, which is happening as we have this conversation as, um, well, not I wouldn't say no-hopers, but they certainly have overperformed so far with the semifinals coming. Can they win it? They're going to, any side that beats India has got to be on top of their game, plus, plus, plus. India have got what I regard as a complete team. All-rounders, great fast bowlers, great spinners, batsmen coming out of their ears. So, you know, whether it's us or anyone else, Australia, New Zealand, it doesn't really matter. Our guys have got to be on top of their game to beat them in the semis. I think we have overperformed, and I think it's wonderful the Khaleesi effect has had on sport in this country, but it almost has tarnished the um, victories and, and the great movement this Proteus side has done. And people like Bavuma's coming under criticism. He shouldn't be playing. 
It's got an average of 50. Very few people in the world have an average of 50. Um, and within the Sahafian context, to have someone like Pavuma, who I know and I respect deeply and I know his background and his um, family uh, background of how he came through it, um, I think is fantastic. Um, I think he's being unfairly criticized. I, I do think if I could just add something, Alec, that I see from afar is that there doesn't seem to be enough communication on the field. And I'm not just talking about from Bavuma. I'm talking about if our guys are bowling badly, normally the leaders of the bowling unit, in this case will be Maharaj and Rabada, will be constantly talking to encourage them. I always go back to the Alan Donald, Lance Klusner run out. And during that over, no one spoke to, they didn't speak to each other. It's always quite amazing. But, and I think that's the only thing I can say that I think our batsmen have been fantastic. These batsmen have been developing their art only in the last 12 months, 15 months. People like, you know, a Klaassen and a Markram were always potential players, but you look at them now, they are, they are leaders in their field. Um, and from the bowling point of view, I think Rabard has been outstanding. Maharaj has shown great maturity. De Kock has obviously been having the time of his life. So I did read an article about anticipatory grief. I don't know if you saw that. That when we watch, you know, as we have the Springboks play those last three match, matches 15 minutes before, we don't, we give up hope on them. And they come through and they prove us wrong time and time again. I think the Proteas have proved us wrong time and time again. And yes, we played badly against the Netherlands. Yes, we got smashed by India. But our victories against Australia and England were spectacular. You know, so I think they have overperformed. And I think us as fans have got to get through this thing about wanting them to be perfect. The difference between soccer, rugby, and cricket is in soccer and rugby, they play for clubs, and they have those clubs, their brands, and they play for their country. In cricket, we have lots of formats, and we have people playing all over the show. They play in the West Indies and Canada. They play in India and the IPL. They play, and you never know what team they're playing for. So this is why if I said to you, who does Faf Duplessis play with, I wouldn't have a clue. Who is the cock going to play for in the next 12 months? I wouldn't have a clue. I can't follow him because I've always traditionally followed teams. So in soccer, I mean, in Masipo Malela, you know, they've strong on pirates. You know, everyone talks about pirates and everyone talks about Manchester United. Those are the teams. They do follow people, but they know who they play for. So when you watched us in Natal, we played for Natal. And before we. I got onto the scene, you could play for South Africa. So I think this is the difficulty we have as a fan base. I hope they get behind us because our guys have done incredibly well, and I pray that we can get through. You know, I think beating India in the semis is a more realistic thing than beating in the final. The final, the pressure will be astronomical. So... I pray that they will come through in some way that makes us proud. Well, that's a, a very interesting segue. You mentioned uh, Masipumela, which is a township uh, in the Western Cape, 
just your your own background, your family from the you from the Western Cape, and yet you ended up teaching at Maritzburg College. I know you've got lots of fans there. I had uh, I have many friends who who uh, were taught by you and and and, uh, and a great admirers of okay. you. <laughs> they did actually most of them, <laughs> not all, but most of them <laughs> did. But but how did you end up in in that uh, province uh, rather I'll than you why, where you are back now in the Western Cape? Yeah, I, I tell you why I was born here. Our family came out here in 1866. We had our 350th with 13 clans, uh, you know, a couple of years back. My dad was an icon. He was headmaster of Bishop's Prep. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He had three blues in Oxford. He was in charge of a couple of regiments in the war. He had MC and Bar. He um, was boxing, um, um, cricket, and athletics for Oxford. And he played for South Africa, and his average is 51.1. He only played in one series in the Timeless Test. He, I get people now who are much older than me, and they just, some are still alive, who will shake me by the hand and burst into tears because I'm the son of Peter. So when I was young, I was always Peter's son. I was never introduced as Vincent. And the same thing happened to him with his father. And he was... His father tried to get him out the Western Cape, and eventually he was lucky enough to go to Oxford. But when I was going to go to Varsity, Dad said, get out of my territory. Um, and I sat next to a guy called Peter Hodson, and he said, come up to Marisburg. So I arrived in Marisburg. I didn't know so, and I had to reconstitute my life. And I had to start from ground zero, which was the best thing I ever did. I wasn't Peter's son. I was myself, and I had to develop friendships, I had to develop connections, I had to develop new ideas of doing things. I went up as quite a good sportsman, you know, I played Western Province schools for three sports, but I wasn't brilliant. And I only developed that really in my second year. I, I and Clive Rice played in the second team for Marisburg Varsity. So we had a Natal Varsity team, which was Durban and Marisburg, and then we had these other teams. So Clive and I played in the second team, and we were strong. <laughs> you know, but that's how I ended in Natal. And I was a, a teacher during my UED year, my teaching diploma year at college, and they wanted me to come back. And I loved the school, and that school turned from a rugger bugger school to a holistic education school that it is today. Very modern, very into the new South Africa. It's fantastic school. And I was lucky enough to be part of that under a wonderful head called Keith Olivia, who was an English teacher. A brilliant way he changed that school. So that gave us the background of education, sport, life skills, arts, all the other things to produce a holistic individual to become better, better citizens and better people and people filled with hope. And so that's the lesson I learned. You know, Alec, I was a fat, chubby 15-year-old, embarrassed to be my father's son. I was uncomfortable in my own skin, and suddenly I shot up at the age of 16 and became good at sport. And for the first time in my life, I felt I could achieve. I, I, I like Dad. We were both third-class metrics, okay? We weren't bright. So, and he was a Rhodes Scholar, for heaven's sake. So that was interesting for me. 
that suddenly now I could I could do things and people regarded me. And also my older sisters taught me how to dance. Because I I'm the opposite sick was sex was frightening for me at that age. And suddenly I could move and I was able to talk to other you know, to women, for example. That's why we introduced hip hop dance this last year at Masi Pomalera, because there are a lot of people who don't want to play sport or chess or sing in the choir or do cadets. They you know, they might be overweight, they might be embarrassed. And dance gives them a sort of expression that they didn't realize they could have, and everyone can dance. You know, if you want to dance, you can dance. So that's the sort of background. I came from three generations of Thunder Bales. My, my dad's uncle was picked for South Africa in 1894, but couldn't go for business reasons because he had to be away for three months. Dad got a cap. I was picked but didn't get a cap. So we have an unusual history. What a lovely story, but I think more so because of what you've shared with us now, your own experiences that you've applied in Masipumalela. But this is go back into that now. Where did that whole idea come from? That well, you would be involved in in that. In, in I'm a stock film member, Alex. Alex, so I'm going back. Sorry, Alex. I go back to about 1981. We started a white stock film. We used to go into Soweto and Gugaleatu here and spent a lot of time in Alex. So, and it was the first time that we met groups of people who we were not working with who were employed by us, if you look back in history. And I'll give you one example. We're going on to our first stock film meeting. Andrew Lekele, who is still chairman of the Gauteng um, Stockville Association took us in. So I'm sitting in the front with him. He's borrowed a, a cab from somewhere. And I'm saying, do they know we're coming in? And he says, no. I said, what's the reaction? He says, I've got no idea. So it's three o'clock on a Sunday. They Stockville lost the whole weekend. So they were a bit shickered when we arrived. And it's a small pondok with a huge tent. There are about 150 Africans in there, all very happy. Okay. And they welcome us with open arms, which shattered me. You know, about 16 white males and females come in, and I sit next to Florence. And I realized afterwards, and because we chat, Florence is a mother of three, has a grade 12, and I introduce her, first conversation ever, introduced her, Addison McDuff, who's into business, and, you know, pretty well off. So I say, Florence, this is Addison McDuff. She says, McDuff. And Alistair says, yes. said, who said watch out for their leaf, that leaf? There may be a serpent beneath it. And he says, I don't know. And she says, well, you aren't very well read. That was Macduff and Macbeth. First, first conversation. Now, don't tell me you, can't, you aren't going to be inspired by that. You realize the potential. We have won four Rugby World Cups. Only 6% of the schools of 25% thousand schools in this country have sport after school. Think about that. Can you think if we could unleash people who have a holistic education, not just sport, not just education, and not just life skills, alone they don't mean much. Together they are so powerful. You know, if you're social, you might become a drunkard. You know, if you're good at sport, you become focused on that only. If you 
educated, even today, you can't get a job if you have a degree. You've got a, you know, 60% chance of getting a job and 30% chance of getting a job if you've got a grade 12. So it's, it's the collection of those three that's crucial, including art, hip-hop, dance, cadets, anything that brings people who have been isolated for so long, not regarded as individuals, and actually just boxed as a township black African or colored. I hate being called a white. I'm a South African. You know, the fact that I'm white is immaterial. The fact that I'm a Christian is immaterial. I could be a Muslim. doesn't matter. And so what we're trying to do in Masi, just to get back to your question, we're trying to look at individuals, 3,500 kids in the two schools, 1,910 in the primary school. Can you imagine? Grades of 250 and the school rocks. It's brilliant. Or Kanya. And the high school we're moving into now. We want them to know they're being looked at as individuals, that they can be part of a collective. Now, whether that's a team or the school, whatever it is, that they feel part of the whole and they are not just on their own. 30% of the high school kids in Massey High School do not go to home to a room wherever they stay. 30% do not have an adult in that home. Okay? Think about that. So I had a privileged life, totally. But I had an unhappy teenage period. Can you imagine being a teenager, no adults, role model, except the teachers and sometimes the coaches, and having to navigate your life where there's gangs, there's drugs, there's sexual harassment, there's murder. And if you come down to a Kanya alley, it'll blow your mind. I cannot tell you how it elevates me and everyone involved. I've got so many people involved. There's so many rotaries and NPOs involved and donors involved and very special people involved. When you go there, you're uplifted. Do you remember Don McCoggill? Okay, so Don is in Perth. He's had pretty bad cancer for a while, 20 years, and he connected. And so he helped me raise some money in Perth, and then he came out here. And what he said to me was really interesting. He said, you can send me as many videos as you like, but to experience it is life-changing, to see what the children are. So I came back from the ICC in Dubai, the paintings behind me, and um, I had double cancer. So I was very lucky to survive. Uh, I was teetering for about a couple of months, and I got out of it, and it didn't change my life. I'm still the same driven, obsessive bloke I was before, unfortunately. Not balanced enough. And I phoned up um, Brad Bing of Swalling Chance because I knew him and I love his dad who passed away quite recently. Fred's a beautiful man. And I said, listen, I want to do things. I'm going to have a purpose. So I'm happy to coach for you pro bono. Just put me somewhere. And he said, no, there's a place in Okanya, Musty, just up the road from me, so four k's away. They want to start cricket. So I went there. And here was a school just with a netball court and a very old netball court and a very old small. And I sat there waiting for Nvaiba Jonas to come and join me. And this one 10-year-old, and remember I'd been into townships before, so I sort of had a feel for them as much as a whitey can. And I saw this girl, about 10 years old, tripping across, singing and humming. 
going to school, and I thought, here is a kid in a township, can't wait to get to class. And I, it took me about 18 months to get the MCC to help me because I was on the World Cricket Committee. They gave me startup funding of 300,000 rand um, every year for three years, and that was sort of startup. And we started something, and it started as a sports program. Then Cool Play came on with their life skills, and then we managed to get facilities built from very generous donors. And the most important part, we got the teachers involved. We have about 12 teachers that teach everything from chess to art to sport, and we have about 10 teachers ourselves, which are mostly sports um, employees. And the school now has cadets, started by people in Ocean View. We have a choir, we have hip-hop dance, we have art, we have chess, and we have seven to eight sports. And everyone can participate. So of the 1,910, about 750 are playing in some sort of team. So they're, And they're playing in the branded kit that you and I played in. They play with Okanya on their chests. You know, so they know who they're playing for. And they have the teachers invested. The teachers come down to PT and jump over the hoops. So you've got these quite old people sometimes some overweight, jumping over hoops with the kids. The kids love it because they know the teacher wants the very best for them as individuals. I, I can't tell you enough about that school. And now we're going to the high school and hopefully doing the same within a couple of years. It's inspirational. What the, I, I, t well, I got an email this morning to say four of our under 11 have been chosen to play in this Western Province Festival cricket. We've got three... Women cricketers, women, um, sorry, under 13 girls soccer players who were picked from Metro South. We've got, and we are not intending to produce, you've got two very good Western Province rugby players. We've just had a Barbarians under nine festival where the girls played with the boys. Our, in Okanya, our best tackler is a girl. And it, it's, it, it is, and I'm just one of tens of thousands of people who are involved like this. I'm not special. This I'm doing as Bev always, my wife says to me, why are you actually doing this? I said, I'm doing it 50% for me, give me purpose, and 50% for them. This is not me being some incredible individual. I'm doing it as well for my own purpose. You know, that's, that's really the story. It sounds a little bit like the starfish. You, you've given us the number. 94% um, of South African schools don't have extracurricular activities. And some people would look at that and say, well, why bother? Um, but it's like those starfish on the beach, the famous story about the guy walks along many starfish, he starts throwing one back in and um, a little someone comes up to him and says, why are you bothering? And he says, well, it's, not, it's never going to make a difference. And he said, well, it did for that one. Is that what drives you? It, your example, I'm sure, people watching this conversation are going to say, hang on, Maybe I can get involved. Now, how was that? How did that door open for you and for somebody who's, who, who also wants a purpose in their life? How would they even start? I think we have two sort of mantras. The first one is, and then I'll get to the answer. I need to say this. The first one is that there are two drivers we have. One is gender equality. It's huge. So we started a menstrual pants 
um, part of what we do so girls can play sport and not miss out in school as well. So we try to look after the whole. So gender equality, we think, is about the most important thing. And the second is social cohesion. So the under nine barbarian uh, rugby festival, which was so successful, because of this one thing, yes, the girls played and five schools in the valley are now going to play rugby next year, which they didn't play this year. But the most successful, what we got, the eight schools, we got groups of eight people, one from each school, talking to each other. That got the parents talking to each other. I know of play dates that have emerged from there across schools. So we had colored schools. We had predominantly black schools. Most schools are mixed. We had a Muslim primrose rugby coming down. So we had a cross of religions. We have to cross historical divides. Otherwise, we're going to sit here like people who write about Bavuma. Because he comes from Lunga, you know, how can he captain South Africa? Look at Khaleesi's story. We have to open this country up. So those two, the, the other bits are, which I think is equally important, so it's not just about schools. We think there are only three institutions that can change regeneration changes in South Africa. Only three. Hospitals churches and schools. They will be here in a hundred years' time. These foundations and these trusts and these things that we do might not be, but the teachers are going to be there. We have to build capacity within it. So on our board, we're lucky to have a headmistress of a colored township school in Westlake. We've got Ron, um, a um, priest who comes from Masi Pomalela. We're looking to have someone from the hospital because the hospitals can come in and help us with teenage pregnancies, help us with HIV education, to try and produce these full people filled with hope. And that's, that's the story, filled with an idea that the future is possible, that they have a place in this country. Instead of being, okay, so we took 55 kids about six years ago, we've been going for seven years, to the aquarium. John Trespan gave us these tickets. 50% of the kids there had never seen Cape Town. 25% of people living in Komiki, close to Komiki, had never seen the sea. 100% of the three teams we took across to Heart Bay did not know Heart Bay existed. Okay, so we have to be part of this is to open them up to lives. And that's when we play against Kirstenhoff or Redham. They go and see across the valley here, you know, over the, over the mountain, the lentil curtain, as we call it, and go and see what the other part of life is. And meet also as black kids playing rugby. So I'll tell you one story. But part of this, um, this beautiful black lady, the kid of an eight and a half, playing for Kirstenhoff, talking to a Redham guy. And the Redham guy quite honestly says, no, I don't like tackling. This beautiful child says, I love tackling. So I say to her, why did you get involved? He said, and she, she was beautiful. She had beautifully braided hair. And I said, why did you get involved? And she said, because I was being bullied. I needed to strengthen myself. Do you get bullied now? No. We've got Ovio who joined our very successful under-13 girls soccer team. Why did you join? She was being teased for being too thin. 
Oh, she wasn't too thin. You wouldn't find a thin person in Musty because they look after each other. It's really great about a township in my view. And these stories, there's just hundreds of them. I could go on for 48 hours. But these are stories about people you get to know and you get to appreciate the strength, the resilience of them. A friend of mine, Paul Harris, who was ex-FNB, you know, he, he was lucky enough to see the World Cup final in the semis. And he, he wrote to me and he said, the Springboks are an epitome of this country because we have such resilience. Sometimes we get over the line very clumsily and in the last minute, but we get there. This is why I love living in this country. It's such a beautiful thing then. That's why I live like living here. You could have left this country. I could have. Paul could have. So many people could have. But there's something about this country and its people which are just beautiful, you know. It's all about hope. Peddlers of hope is what the politicians uh, try to be. But sometimes the stories of hope come from experience, real-life experience. And Vince Vanabelle, lovely talking with you. Uh, I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. 